Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast. And I want to start out by reminding you that there uh, is lots more to this uh, content that I provide on wealthformula.com. So go ahead and check that out, including a, a copy of my book, Seven Secrets of Eternal Wealth, which you can also get by simply texting 44222 and typing Wealth Formula, one word, and um, that's, you know, simple, and you can you can get that, and, and that's what technology does for you, by the way. Um, anyway, um, I also want to remind you that if you enjoy what you're listening to, that there's a course, a forum, a private Facebook page, and bi-weekly mastermind calls. And uh, you can be part of that group. You can be part of Wealth Formula Network and get this phenomenal course featuring the likes of Ken McElroy, Tom Wilwright, Kevin Day, Dean Graziosi, me, and, uh, and, a, and a bunch of others, Christian Allen. And uh, you can get that all by simply going to wealthformularoadmap.com and checking that out. I highly encourage you to do so. Uh, by the way, these mastermind calls are awesome. We've had special guests now. We've had, uh, you know, we had Kevin Day once, and then we had Christian Allen once. Um, it's just going to get better and better, so so definitely check that out. Now, as for today's show, I want to go back a little bit. I feel like we need to go uh, back a few steps because we stopped doing this weekly wealth widget a while back, and maybe uh maybe you know people should go back and read some of those uh to to catch up <clears throat> i had a few conversations uh earlier this week last week i don't remember when now uh, uh, uh with some investors that made me think gosh i i got to talk about this stuff a little bit um and it got me thinking about you know what some of these basics i i believe in that i should at least tell you what i believe in are First of all, let's start with why I generally prefer to own an asset, okay, uh, whether an entirety or a fraction of an asset, as opposed to simply holding a note. In other words, you know, lending money for somebody to do stuff at a fixed um, return on investment, uh, otherwise known as a note or a promissory note, right? It's basically, what is a promissory note? Uh, it's basically a promise to pay the lender a certain amount of interest over a period of time with return of capital, sort of like a bond, right? 
So let's say you loan someone flipping houses uh, some money, and they uh, and they issued you a promissory note uh, at 8%, right? Uh, that means that the, the borrower is, is then going to take that money that you lend them, and they can go and make whatever money they want with that property, and all they got to do is pay you 8%. Regardless of how well that property does, your maximum return is 8% at best, and you're going to pay taxes on that, okay? Now, uh, I also would like to emphasize the word best, at best, 8% at best. And I say that here because understand that a promissory note, while legally binding, does not guarantee that you will make 8%. Your promissory note is nothing more than a lien, okay? Hopefully, it's a first position lien, hopefully. And hopefully, the asset's value will cover the amount of debt you as the issuer lent in the first place if the borrower defaults. After all, if you lend somebody $100,000 and they default you better hope that the asset is worth at least $100,000 so you can you know, sell it off and, and recover your initial capital if you're in a first position. Now, is that a guarantee that you're going to recover that money? For anyone who thinks it's a guarantee, I refer you to all of the notes that were defaulted on in 2008. A lot of broken promises, right? A lot of promissory notes. If you think that all those people who made loans got their capital back, you are sorely mistaken. You're smoking something. There is no such thing as a guaranteed return. Even the Securities and Exchange Commission will tell you that. Just Google it. The only asset that is considered guaranteed in the eyes of the SEC is U.S. Treasuries. And that's another story entirely, if those are even guaranteed. So if you are not guaranteed money and your upside is limited and you've got to pay taxes and if there's a default, you got to go through all this pain, why invest in debt in the form of promissory notes rather than equity in any project? Well... I can tell you that I personally will always invest in equity over debt. Why? Because you have more upside, you hedge inflation, and you get tax advantages, right? Notes have none of these qualities, nor are they guaranteed. Now, I'm not against investing in notes. In fact, some of you may know I'm, I'm very interested potentially in uh, looking at you know the model that George Newberry's been doing and and with non-performing notes, I'm I'm trying to study that, um, and I'm doing that because there's an opportunity there to make very high returns, right? Um, and I've invested in George's fund, right? But just to be clear, I've done not done this blindly by any means. I've done it with people I trust, and I also know for a fact that it's really not safer than investing for equity. It's not. I'm sorry, it's not. Anyway, hopefully that makes sense. I don't do the weekly wealth widget anymore, as I said, but I need to make sure I clarify things uh, so that people, um, you know, hopefully can uh, 
can learn some things along the way. Uh, listen, we all want cash flow, but be smart about your investments and look at them holistically. And for heaven's sake, if someone uses the word guaranteed in their offering, short of being the United States government, run the other way. Okay, they may not even be nefarious, but it's clear to me in that situation, they don't know what they're doing. Okay, you cannot guarantee somebody uh, a return. Anyway, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast today will attest to everything I've said. And uh, why should you take his word for it? Well, take his word for it. He is the cash flow ninja. So when we come What do the Rothschilds, the Romneys, and the billionaire hedge fund managers know that you don't about growing and protecting wealth? As you might imagine, the wealthy have a few tricks up their sleeves. One strategy allows you to grow wealth tax-free at a compounding rate with no volatility. It protects your money from creditors and lawsuits, and it lets you invest the same money in two different places at the same time. How about that for amplifying wealth? To learn more, go to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. Back, MC Lobster. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder this stuff is so profitable and recession-resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest is familiar to you if you've been listening to the show for a while. His name is MC Lobster. He's a wealth strategist, educator, and a financial freedom fighter. Uh, he's also the founder and president of Producers Wealth and Probably, I'm guessing you may know him best for his uh, podcast, He Is the Cashflow Ninja. Uh, and his mission is to help as many people as possible to eliminate the control of banks and financial institutions. Sounds familiar, right? And have their lives, uh, uh, have, take their lives back basically from Wall Street. Uh, he believes the best way to achieve this in the information age is by reclaiming the banking function in your own financial life through structuring and efficient cash flow management systems and creating and building building assets that provide multiple streams of income. Uh, without further ado, welcome back to the show, MC Lobsher. Thank you so much for having me on. Honored to be back on. So it's been uh, it's been a while. Uh, what have you been up to, man? What's, uh, what, what's the latest from the ninja there? <laughs> yeah, it's been quite an exciting year. So, so many things going on, uh, on the cashflow ninja front. We're, we're growing. Uh, we've got, uh, we've had over 350 episodes now. So <laughs> yeah, quite, you are uh, nuts. Grown, yeah. Grown <laughs> in fit, footprint globally. I think it was, it was over 170 countries at one stage that we've reached. So we've grown, grown our footprint 
uh, internationally. So that's been very, very exciting. On the producer's wealth front, we're also growing. We, we have the ability to service clients virtually in all 50 states. So we've checked 39 of those states. So we're growing in footprint there. And that uh, really pleases me because our mission was to provide an, uh, service and education to as many people as possible. And it's going, going really, really well doing that. And then on the personal front, you know, I had a son that was being born since the last oh, wow. time we spoke. Yeah. So yeah, and then uh, we are expecting our second due in December. So wow, uh, can't complain. A lot, lot of things on my plate. Yeah, my yeah, you got a rugby team going there, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right, that's right. <laughs> so a lot of, lot of stuff to be grateful for, and uh, a lot of stuff to be excited about. Yeah, good for you, man. Um, I, I gotta just ask you that you do three shows a week, and that to me is mind blowing because. Uh, you know, I do, I do this, uh, one wealth formula podcast. And as we talked about, I have another podcast that's going to be coming up, but it's a lot of work. I mean, how do you, how do you do three podcasts? How do you find three quality guests and have this business on top of that? Yeah, I think one of the things that I firmly believe in from an athletic background is systems, right? Systems, processes, and procedures. And um, I can kind of combine that with the philosophy that I've picked up from uh, actually from Grand Cardone, where you don't manage your time, you control it. So right. you put these systems and processes in place and then control your time. And then, you know, once you have things systematized and, um, and, and uh, scheduled out and you're controlling it, you'll you're be able to do that. And you bring in the right people to help you, right? The right team members, yeah. the, right, the right people. And also I love to time block. You know, I like to uh, do things when I'm in flow. So with podcasts, when I put my, you know, my ninja outfit on and uh, get my purple background behind me, I'm <laughs> ready to go. Um, and then when we focus on the other stuff, as far as strategy wise, helping our clients, we do that too. But yeah, it's uh it's been a lot of fun, but uh, yeah, you know, we, we, we keep busy. <laughs> yeah, I was going to comment that I I, um, I am so impressed with the, your background. Uh, if anybody's watching this on video and you've got a Cashflow Ninja t-shirt and a Cashflow Ninja hat. I mean, I just, I can't tell you, I'm just like green with envy right now. <laughs> <laughs> I've just got like, I don't know, pictures of my kids back there somewhere. Um, but uh, listen, uh, this is uh, this is great to have you on. Um, you know, obviously, you, you know, one of the advantages of having uh, a podcast that that you are so prolific on is talking to a lot of people and learning a lot of different strategies. I'm curious in the last year or two, let's just take the last year, for example. Mm -hmm. Tell me a couple of examples of things that you learned that you had no idea existed. There's been quite a, yeah, there's been quite a number of them. Um, one of the, one of the central theme, if we, if we, if we just look at the approach of a lot of the people that I've interviewed, so I've interviewed over 350 people, I think yeah. right now, and, and we've got more in the hopper, but uh, one of the big, big takeaways for me too, and this is all with a mindset of, uh, where we are currently, right, in the world, market cycles, all that kind of stuff is the amount and the emphasis that they place on relationships, the emphasis that they place on um, developing themselves, and then obviously their network, and then what is important to them, concepts, ideas, creativity, uh, philosophy, core beliefs, principles and values, right? So as opposed to things, 
because I think a lot of these, and I, and I like to refer to them as the as cash flow ninjas, right? Yeah. And I get to learn from because a lot of these people know that, and we've seen this with billionaires too, right? When they lose everything, and you you almost feel sorry for them, and then with with uh, within uh, the nick of time, they're back. They're 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 flourishing. They're successful again, and they've started up another business and. The reason why, in my opinion, that it happens is because of that emphasis on the building those relationships, the network, and all the intangibles that they that they place importance on, right? And of course, the self-development, because if you're building your relationships and your network, those folks truly believe that they have to provide and produce and create value for those relationships and that network. So that's the intangible stuff. Some of the other stuff that I've that I've learned, I mean, I've seen pretty pretty interesting stuff within within the real estate space and of course tying kind of into that is the crypto and blockchain which which you talk about quite a bit uh and have had guess on of how that will affect the real estate space right that's some right. of the stuff that i had no idea of how to look even look at it how would it affect uh for instance tokenization you know how would tokenization uh, disrupt the real estate space how would it disrupt all the other industries potentially and and, and blockchain technology and i i think of of all the things that I've seen, and I've seen cash flow ninjas within niches now, especially you know within the real estate, we see mobile home parks uh, and sales storage being pretty popular. <clears throat> you know, five six years ago when I yeah. started looking at this, and somebody somebody said, "What are you looking at?" and I said, "Mobile home parks." They go, "Trailer parks? Seriously? Yeah. Trailer parks?" <laughs> yeah. yeah. And now, of course, it's it's everybody's on to, on on board with that, um, and especially with the recession. And then you know, we look at the businesses, the online businesses, e-commerce. This is one thing that's blowing me away. If you the, the opportunity to start an e-commerce business or have someone in your family start an e-commerce, because if you think about it, we haven't even scratched the surface when it comes to e-commerce. More, more than 90%, uh, around about 90% of um, things are still being sold in brick and mortar stores. So we're around 10% or less that's online. And a lot of people think that they've already missed the boat. This yeah. is a massive opportunity. Uh, I think it's just going to grow. And this is a huge opportunity for folks to, to create an additional stream of income. So that shocked me and surprised me. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of these things are, again, to back to the philosophy vehicles. And there's opportunities in every single niche. But there's these are some of the things that just stand out to me and whack me in the face and say, yeah. wow, yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, I would just make a couple comments there on the why the billionaires come back as billionaires. Um, I am convinced, and this is where I start, you know, it becomes, you know, wealth formula, the numbers meets uh, Buck Joffrey uh, of the metaphysical world. And and this is this is something that I really believe that there is um, each in each one of us, there's a little bit of a wealth thermostat. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and we will generally if we're not cognizant of it and try to change the thermostat, we will generally regress back to the mean. So if in your world, you're used to being somebody who makes $200,000 a year, that's probably what you're going to keep doing unless you can change that thermostat. Um, right. and, and, and it takes a little bit of work. Um, even, even I've, I'm finding this and I'm being very conscious about it. Um, I've done, you know, pretty well. And, you know, so me, uh, you know, making a certain amount of money at this point, which I think a lot of people, most people would consider a lot of money, 
to me, I'm looking at my neighbors because I live in Montecito and saying, well, that, that guy does, that guy's worth about a $200 million. I, you know, I don't have $200 million. I mean, so a lot of money is taking different meanings. And so the thermostat is important. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta keep that uh, in your head because the power of, of what we believe of ourselves is strong. I will say um, the other thing, uh, and this, of course, is going off into a tangent that you probably had no intention of really going into, but I, I think it's interesting. The um, Tell me more about the e-commerce thing, because the funny thing is, uh, you know, this is something that I've talked about on the show is that, you know, of course, cash flow is great. And the problem with real estate um, or anything else is that we get, um, you know, it's a slow burn, right? It's It's hard to Sometimes it's hard. I mean, we certainly have, you know, infinite return models that we we like to use um, to to try to increase the velocity of our money uh, in our in my accredited investor group. But, you know, one of the beauties of businesses is that businesses don't you don't expect them to do 10 percent. You expect them to be explosive in terms of the growth. Now, the beauty of an online business, if you can be successful on it is that the overhead is pretty low. So if you fail, okay, you have failed, right? But right. It's, a, it's a tremendous way to create a stream of, of cash flow, right? I mean, what uh, have you had any personal experience with that? I'm actually thinking about starting something with my nine-year-old daughter. That's what I'm asking. <laughs> yeah, no, we're, so um, this is on, on the, the menu for myself and my wife to really dive into next year. Yeah. So we've got a couple of uh, goals that we're hitting, but I have to tell you, and I've interviewed Ezra Firestone, which is sure, the, I know. Yeah. regarded as one of the top uh, e-commerce experts yeah. globally on my show. And, you know, the stuff that, that's available to you right now and the ease of getting into it. And again, this is one of those things where just like uh, a lot of other things, podcasting is one of them. A lot of folks can get into it, but it's the consistency. It's uh, the education. It's the continual growth that will drive you and separate you from the pack because you can get into e-commerce, but to be successful, that that's another kind of level. And that's where education and that kind of stuff comes in. But I, I see it as an enormous opportunity, yeah. enormous, because if you think about it in the old days, just think of the daunting task of starting an Amazon business. You're like, how do I start yeah. this? Where do I find yeah. this stuff? Who do I call someone in China? It's all basically streamlined. And there's been some trailblazers that uh, went down that path first yeah. that uh, kind of opened it up. So I see enormous opportunity there. I think it's a used missed opportunity too, if you don't, because that's it's just going to be an area where there's significant growth. You and I have spoken about, you know, cryptos too, of there's a, it's a trend, right? You see certain trends evolve and you can see it kind of take off the, 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 the network kind of growing around it. E-commerce is exactly the same. I think it's a very strong trend, uh, just as crypto and online education is another one of them too, because the school sure. system, you know, in generally is so broken as far as learning skill sets. It's very limited to the, some of the skill sets that you can learn that these three are just three trends that I've identified yeah. that are just massive opportunities. Yeah, the challenge I found with uh, identifying e-commerce opportunities is that, um, you know, if you look at it, the internet courses on that kind of thing, uh, yeah. a lot of them are, you know, I mean, listen, you're basically you're basically creating revenue for somebody else's online business, which is to market and sell you a course. And that course um, may or may not have any value 
at all. So that that yep. that's certainly one of the challenges. It's actually something we talk a, lo- a little bit in my private uh, Wealth Formula Network group. We call it side hustles, and we're just trying to discover some of these. Uh, let's switch a little bit uh, gears because obviously you've got the um, producer's wealth, uh, which is uh, you know which is ultimately a, a, a financial uh, firm, and and you help people structure and create wealth um, uh, wealth creation systems. If I came to you and I said, "Hey, uh, MC, uh, I make right now." $100,000 a year. I don't have a lot in the savings, but guess what? Um, I just inherited $5 million. Where do you start? Yeah, I think the three reasons why a lot of folks fail uh, when it when it comes to money and when they when they start is the first thing, you know, a lot of folks invest in themselves, right? They do the education, they read the books, you know, they take the courses, they go to all of these very high ticket items, they, you know, and so forth. And then they get stuck. Then they go, well, I've read all of, I've read all of Robert Kiyosaki's books. Now what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? What do I do now? And the first thing is that it, it ties into to strategy. Because it's a completely different mindset shift to products, vehicles. Because in a lot of those 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 educational stuff that's that's out there too, it's very specific. Become a real estate investor. So I'm going to invest in real estate. Become you know we used e-commerce. How to set up an e-commerce store, right? So it's these are all just this vehicles. But it's the 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 whole thing that that we're looking into that we will look at is this the strategy. What strategy suits you? Every person is different. Every person has different strengths. We look at your mental capital, your relationship capital, because that will contribute to your, your financial capital eventually, right? That, those combined. So from a strategic standpoint, the second part of that is to have a power team that helps you implement a strategy, having the right people in place. This, as you know, takes a while. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that's one thing yeah. that we bring. I mean, trust me, it's taken me two decades to do it. I've kissed sure. a lot of frogs. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I've, uh, I've had a lot of those. So I understand that that comes into play, right? Asset protection guys, estate planning guys, folks that are going to do it at a high level. Because just as, you know, not all CPAs are, are, are the same, not as all estate planning guys are the same. If you want to do it at a high level, especially if you just inherited a ton of money using your example. And then the, se- the third leg of it is accountability. Because a lot of people get all excited. There's a lot of woo-woo. Trust me, I love woo-woo. But woo-woo only gets you so far. Taking action in the step with a strategy and a power team. Now you've got to be held accountable to do the certain things. So once we break that down, we look at first. The, we look at the person, as I mentioned. We look at what they're trying to accomplish with it, right? And then we look at the systems that we bring in to create. So for instance, if somebody inherits a, a large sum of money, and we have a, quite a, we actually have now, it's a great question because we have a couple of clients right now. They are in the exact uh, uh, same uh, uh, boat right yeah. now. They have that scenario. So we look at the systems that we can bring on and we keep it very simple. You know, as you mentioned, production is the first system. You have to be able to increase production and creation. And then, you know, the three steps, you have to make money, you have to protect money, and you have to multiply it. With the protection of money comes the liquidity system, and the multiplications, a part of it is the income system. So from a liquidity standpoint, we look at how we can efficiently 
position that money in savings right there, and then how we can efficiently create income from those. So you and I have, uh, have spoken about this before, and I've mentioned this on your show. So we use cash flow banking, wealth formula banking to do that. We we that's where we we park the majority of our money right there yeah. because of all of the advantages, the guarantees that it has of the principal. And then also the growth, the dividends that it has, the tax favorable treatment that it has, yep. the privacy, the asset protection. I mean, and we can go on and on and on. And it does, uh, it does play into the dollar maximization kind of uh, element to it too, where the same dollar is doing many different functions. Then we take that and for instance, we would look at um, some of the investments that we could put it in, right? So we could, for instance, put it into uh, certain cash flowing producing assets depending on what their goals are immediate cash flow if there's an income goal we could look at certain syndications if it's more long-term growth we could look at uh other vehicles such as live settlements which i've known you've uh, you've covered on it as well and it's all dependent on that person's strength too let's just say that person was making a hundred thousand using your example inherited a lot of money maybe um maybe their passion isn't you know maybe their passion is in real estate and that's what we would look at uh, uh, to, to help them with. But the first thing is they've, they have a windfall. We want to protect that windfall. We want to position that windfall as efficiently as possible. And then we want to create efficient income from that windfall, meaning using the Robert K. Saki cash flow quadrant on the right hand side as an I, because the B and the I is more tax efficient and more efficient as opposed to uh, the E and the S. So holistic, you know, I love what you when you talk about a holistic approach because we've 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 taken an overview of the person we've identified inefficiencies maybe there's other habits or other things that they're doing that are very very inefficient that's going to uh, provide some challenges along the line for this money that they just inherited, right? So we have to look at the efficiencies. We have to look at it all as a whole, but that's kind of what we what we do. To give you a quick example of that person, for instance, wanted to, let's just say, for instance, they, they, uh, they wanted to, they inherited around $5 million or so, right? Well, or 4.5, let's be more specific in an example, and they wanted to generate passive income. Well, you could generate... $360,000 of passive income a year at an 8% consistent return off that money. Now, you don't have to put it into wealth formula banking or cash flow banking. You don't have to put it in there. But if you put it into there, we've run some of the scenarios. There's a significant opportunity cost because of the inefficiencies. So you have to be efficient in all areas. Uh, so that's that's how we would help them and, and, and position that. Yeah, I think the... the uh... The, the, I think the takeaway um, from what I'm getting, and I think and I agree with it, is I think having something like a, a wealth formula banking or, uh, you know, that kind of thing is a centerpiece from which to, you know, sort of quarterback your your investments is a good is a is certainly a, a, a sound strategy. Um, what uh, that one of the challenges, though, is that if you have a big lump of cash, of course, you can't dump that first year into a policy um yep. it, it it it's difficult you're gonna have to probably layer that over several years um what 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 did you tell the person um who with the four and a half million dollars about that yeah so for instance uh 
over those years, we look at what they need, what they need and what they're currently doing and look yeah. at ways to improve it. So using that example, about $100,000, they're living comfortably already, right? So this yeah. is something that's going to be outside of it. And to your point, this is the foundational asset. This is the centerpiece. This is, you know, what folks also refer to as the Rockefeller method, kind of the centerpiece of yeah. their, their entire trust. So we're going to put that money in there. There's, there's ways, I mean, that's very, very tactical. You can, you can stagger it through uh, through certain other products that you bring in. There's uh, there's many different ways of how you could do that efficiently, and you review all of those different options. But I would say the first thing is we have to protect that. Yeah. And sometimes when people get in get into a lot of money, you you have to protect them from themselves. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's that wealth that, thermostat again, right? I mean, if you're yeah. making a hundred grand a year, and all of a sudden you got uh, all of a sudden you got four and a half five million bucks sitting there. Uh, the the regression in the mean you're, you're gonna your 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 brain's gonna try to get you back to a hundred thousand dollars per year pretty quickly Absolutely. if you're not careful so that's where you have to that's where you have to be really careful I think the the interesting thing that happens at, at in the higher levels and um uh and and you know I certainly see this with a number of people in our investor group is is um you you know I think a big part of what you're talking about which I think is important is the majority of your capital at some point ends up, you really have to start looking at wealth preservation rather than, you know, pure alpha, right? I mean, if you're, yep. you, I think if you're young and you don't have a lot of money, I mean, you're going to do things. I would recommend you do different things than if you're, you know, if you're 50 years old and, you know, you never made a bunch of money and you're not an entrepreneur or a sophisticated investor and all of a sudden you came into 5 million bucks, totally different situation and um but it but it is an interesting one um what um tell tell me about some of the you know non-banking strategies that you've come to like i mean you talked about you know eight percent growth and things like that i think the the challenge again and the devil's in the details i feel like um one of the reasons uh for the most part that i've, I've stopped you know having many people on my show who raise capital is that it's unless I have personally invested with that person, it's going to be a tricky thing because there's just, you know, I had a guy and you'll love this MCM. This is, we had a recent opportunity, um, which with a group uh, in the investor group that, um, <clears throat> that I think is an incredible performing group and just tremendous track record. And, um, one of our guys pulled out because he said that, um, he was looking for something with a guarantee Mm -hmm. I said, well, there's no such thing as a guarantee. He said, well, I have a, I have a promissory note uh, from another group, and it says I'm guaranteed, so it's legal. It's a binding document, right? So, <laughs> right. so I mean, I and and I get it. I mean, I I understand why that can be alluring and that can be something that people believe. But first of all, it's pretty much if anybody's calling it a guarantee, it's pretty much you know. It's illegal. The SEC will right. not allow you to call something a guarantee. Second of all, there's no such thing as a guarantee because at best you have a lien and you don't know you have a first lien. You don't know if you have a first position lien. You don't have a second position lien. What do you have? So when, you, when you're competing with a lot of BS out there, when people, and I shouldn't use the word competing, but 
when you're wading through the BS, right? That give you a better visual of what I think the vast majority of offerings are. Yep. I mean, how would how do you direct people through that? Yeah, we we uh, I couldn't agree with you more. You make such an important point, especially right now. The tides are high. Everybody's swimming. It looks like it's a lot of fun, right? And yeah. as Warren Buffett uh, talks about, you you know, you find out who is swimming naked when the tide goes out. Yeah, right. right now, it's very sexy or very, you know, everybody's getting into syndications and running around and have websites up. And I actually had an expert on my show. This is all, all he does is he vets businesses and people. And he has an entire business based out of it because there's so much nonsense online and there's so many people raising raising capital right now. So you make a great point that we have to continually go through all of this nonsense that's out there and misinformation and so forth. So how we direct people is we have partners, you know, I'm a very big believer in relationships, the same as you people that we've personally invested with and do business with that have a track record that's been in this one that have seen the last downturn that came out of that, you know, that, that went through that. So um, yeah, we have all, we also have, we, we have a group that we shared certain things with and, and our clients Sometimes not doing anything is also the good thing, the right thing to do, right? As Warren Buffett said, that's also doing something. You're building a cash cash position. So right. now, especially for folks that, that are starting out, now's as better as ever to build a nice cash position and, and not do anything. So we only look at the opportunities that are available through through as I mentioned, our relationships. And many of our folks, they don't, they haven't had one in a while. Uh, quite a bit because they're very diligent. They do their due diligence. So I would just say to folks, do your due diligence, especially online, because right now the tide is high. There's a lot of misinformation on there. There's a lot of folks coming into the space. It's very easy to start a podcast. It's very easy to start a YouTube channel. It's very easy to get a website up and running. Do your homework. Yeah, um, look at us, right, MC? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Look at me. Very easy. You know, That's so right. it's so it's um yeah. So, I mean, I would just I would just have people caution. Uh, it would just have people caution and make sure that, uh, yeah, make sure that they do their due diligence and just be cautious because, you know, it's it seems a little frothy from where I'm oh, sitting. Gosh, and looking yeah. at it. And and I, I couldn't agree more with that. And, and again, um, you know, I've got uh, uh, people contacting me to be on the show all the time. We want to raise capital. And it's like the last thing on earth. They ain't offering me money to do it. Um, you know, I just, I won't do it. I mean, it's, and, and what you're finding too, and it's just, uh, to me, it's just a scary thing is you've got a lot of, you know, people who've got full-time jobs who are the quote unquote asset manager of literally 20, $30 million assets you know, and, and they're not doing much with them. They're kind of just riding a wave. And as we discussed before, all it's going to take is a little bit of cap rate compression and one, one or two violations of a, of a, uh, of a loan covenant. And there's going to be some buildings that go on a discount uh, pretty quickly for, for buyers who are being uh, aware of that. One of the things that you mentioned, I think is uh, uh, useful too. Uh, you and I, are both a big fan of this, you know, wealth formula banking concept, what we call wealth formula banking. And um, it's a great time to build that cash position, particularly with a vehicle like that, because you could be in cash, but you're going to make less than 1% on your money 
Whereas, I mean, really, it, with, with wealth formula banking, you're talking about five, five and a half percent that's compounding. Uh, and that's certainly much more favorable. And that, as far as guarantees go, well, I mean, that's about as close as you're going to get outside of a U.S. Treasury uh, for, for, for real guaranteed money. So, I mean, I think if you're for those of you out there who are telling me that you've got guaranteed money coming in, uh, this might be something that you might want to look at in particular. Yeah, and especially you make a great point uh, uh, by putting money into something that's efficient. And then also, um, I think this this is one of the things that I'm looking at in the next downturn, if there's a sharp correction or just a recession. I think from a risk management standpoint, you know, you have political risk, you have economic risk, you have market risk. But the other risk that folks do not talk about is institutional risk. Yeah. And it's going to be very important, not just what your money's in, but who it's with. And that's why, again, you know, the, those mutual insurance companies, just in my opinion, just through their, with their track record and looking at their balance sheets and the excess cash reserves is a great place to put it on. Another thing that I also would, would, would encourage folks to look at, and this is a lesson I've learned just from uh, having, a, having a little bit of an insight to, to some family office yeah. setups uh, with relationships in there, is it amazes me the amount of time and of an overall, just from a time standpoint of how these families and their teams, what they're focusing on is not just the, the five to 10 or, you know, 20% of their money that's invested, you know, generating income or business through businesses and investments, but the entire other picture of being efficient in all different areas, plugging cash flow leaks, you know, for instance, from their standpoint and their philosophy is, you know, and you see this through a lot of comments from other family offices. I think it was David Rockefeller senior that recently said our, um, our focus has been wealth preservation more actually than expansion, Sure. you know, and one of the things that they're doing is they're, they're looking at for inefficiencies as far and cash flow leaks as, as, as far as let's just take taxes for an example. These families, and they, you know, some of the single family offices around $250 million net worth and up, they know that if they reduce, and it's a changing tax environment right now, if they can reduce their tax liability by 20%, this is why they have CPAs and people working on it, there's no return out in the marketplace, you know, yeah. over the yeah. course of... 20 to 30 to 40 years. And I'm not even talking about transferring it on to the next generation and the next generation after that. There's just no return out there. You know, people could run the numbers all they want that, that they would have to get, you know, going out in investment. So they know taxes is a massive wealth destroyer. They're super efficient when it comes to that, where they position their savings. You know, we've touched on where, where's a good place for that, how they position their assets, their, their income, other cash flow leaks. Uh, inflation is a big one. How are they positioned for the inflation? Um, and then all the other inefficiencies that they, that they might find in there. So they audit it regularly. They look at different ways. They strategize. They try to be as efficiently as possible from an estate planning, from an asset protection standpoint. And then also from a from a tax standpoint, that's their they know already that's going to be the biggest return that they're going to get uh, any place. So I would say this is a great lesson that your listeners can take with them and say now's a great time not to chase just returns out in the marketplace, but figure out hey 
how efficient am I in all these different other areas in my life, uh, especially with regards to my personal economy, my business economy. I'll give you an example of a business economy. I just did this a couple of months ago. Just looking at the memberships and the subscriptions that you have for software <laughs> and yeah. all these things, there's so many overlaps. And I mean, there's already a couple of hundred bucks, maybe a thousand in, 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 in my, um, in my case per month that was going out that there was things overlapping, right? It could be done more efficiently. So there's just a quick example, but figure out how to be efficiently as possible, uh, warehouse some, some cash to capitalize on opportunities and don't keep, uh, keep on chasing all of this and chasing returns out there. Yeah. It's interesting. You say that I just hired a, uh, a new, uh, in-house, in-house, uh, accountant and she is, uh, she is super sharp and, and, uh, from a business standpoint, I think she cut our, she, she eliminated something like $150,000 of insurance, uh, that was just fat, um, yep. that I, I mean, I didn't realize, I mean, um, and, and she did that. And then on my personal stuff, she eliminated something like another $20,000 of personal insurance that I didn't need that it was overlapped. But I, I was with a yep. company that, um, you know, I don't, I don't claim to know a lot about liability insurance. So, you know, it, what you're not educated on is usually where you're going to get burned. And, um, and so I was just, I just assumed the people that I had had for those things were, were doing the best for me, not just for themselves, but, but anyway, um, th those are just examples of, of the types of things that you can do. Yep. What, what other, you know, you talk a little bit about family offices and, um, you, you know, one thing that they're always, uh, concerned about uh, especially with these multi-generational offices is, you know, the transfer of wealth. And what are the, some of the things that you've learned about wealth, you know, the transfer of wealth and, you know, presumably you're talking about, you know, people who've got big estate planning problems and stuff like that. What, have, what kinds of things have you learned about that there? Yeah. One of, one of the biggest things that I've seen, um, is th it's not only the transfer of the assets and the liquidity, right? That's the easy part out of all of this, when you think of the money that's being transferred every generation, and then looking at the generations that are uh, recipients of this, they're not only good steward of the capital, but they grow it every single year. And I was fortunate enough, uh, you know, growing up in South Africa, I went to a very prestigious school and university. Um, and um, I, uh, I saw some of these families and I, I can see where they're now, the guys that went to school with me. And they not only just took the capital and turned into trust fund babies, uh, they are growing it. They're hungry. They're very, very, very driven uh, because they're mission-driven and vision-driven. So the transfer is not only just the assets, which tactically it's just done through proper estate planning, asset protection, you know, and trusts and so forth. That's, that's kind of the more the mechanical side, but the most important part, and this is a part that I really, really like, and I de I'm diving deep into this and, and studying this, is the intellectual capital and the knowledge that's transferred to the next generation. And what I mean by that is I have a mentor that talks about this quite a bit um, as, uh, and refers to it as a statement of purpose, which is the family constitution that I set up. Right. So the, 
it worked for the United States, kind of principles and values of the country and kind of the vision, a family should have it too. And just think about us as individuals, you know, personal growth and development. Yeah, we have that for ourselves, a vision and a, a mission for ourselves. And for our businesses, we should have it as a family as well. They have that. They know what the, stand, the family's mission is, what the vision of the family is. And then also the philosophy, the core beliefs, and then the principles and values of the family. And then there's rules uh, put in uh, on this document, basically of what it, what it means to be a part of this family. What do we stand for? What is unacceptable behavior? Uh, what are things that we covered and value? What are things that um, we try to stay away from and steer them in that directions, right? You could talk about health. You could talk about relationships, the importance of it. You could talk about certain things with regards to wealth creation. You know, we've just discussed a lot of holistic things. That's something that could be in that document. That's one way. And but living and breathing that as well and sharing that with, with the children in the family, right, um, is another thing. And a very big part that plays into that is the family retreat, which um, there's a book, The Five Men from Frankfurt, based on the Rothschilds. Yeah. And these guys talked about a family retreat where all the, the, the different brothers, because they were all in different cities, right? One in London, one in Paris, one in Frankfurt, and so forth. They would all get together and share best practices, talk about the family. Are we aligned with the, the document for our family? Are we living our family's purpose and what we're supposed to do? You know, and enjoy each other's company, share these things within your family. And again, you don't have to be, and you don't have to be a Rothschild to do yeah, this, yeah. right? You could do this with your family now. You could take a retreat somewhere and talk about these things with your with your spouse. It it aligns and brings spouses on the same page, right? If that's something that you're wriggling and struggling with, um, not a relationship expert and not not <laughs> claiming to be one or give advice, but it's nice to to have the family and and everybody on the same page and have everybody's everybody's input in that so we've we've mentioned the constitution we've men mentioned the retreat because it's all about these soulful experiences too and relationship the other part that i'll also mention is the the third part which is the family office kind of part which one of my mentors talks about uh, quite a bit and that's just basically the power team of advisors you know have a document in there too guiding advisors who's what type of advisors should you have what's the what's the core philosophy of the family when it comes to wealth creation right so for mm -hmm. instance it doesn't have on there that you should max out your 401k yeah, on those yeah. documents because that's right. not part of all they operate so i think having all those things in place and living and breathing it living it today your legacy sharing these experiences with with your children uh and uh with other members in your family is what it's all about and i think that's going to make it easier because that's one thing that i've just seen the mentorship part of it is is also huge and it's a it's a it's a huge opportunity i think for all of your listeners listening to incorporate this within their own families start doing a couple of things because the statistics are frightening yeah. The statistics are a lot of folks, even with proper uh, transfer, you know, me mechanically. It's like and, two generations, uh, right? Uh, that's basically some, a lot. Yeah, it, yeah, it's crazy. We've we've heard the three generations and some of the folks that just inherited a sum of money, back to our previous example, that's 18 months is that average of nor just standard average normal family where they get a they get a bunch of money and all the money is gone with uh spent on lambos you know yeah. um, <laughs> we're watching the crypto moon no, just kidding <laughs> yeah, exactly. Lambos. exactly mooning exactly. you're starting like a crypto show or something. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> exactly. Taking a lot of Instagram selfies. That's right. Well, this has been great. Um, you know, I, and, and, and by the way, if anybody else out there has had success with an online business, cause I'll tell you personally, uh, MC, one of the things that I think is really important for raising children with money, in my opinion, I don't know if it's going to work or not. Cause my kids are little, they're nine, five and three, but I think that a lot of it is the culture that you have within the house. And so, um, you know, like right now, uh, you know, I'm starting to teach my nine-year-old a little bit about investing and, and she's super excited because we decided we're going to start a business together and we're just trying to, we're hunting around for businesses and we're trying to do something online. So I bring that up to, uh, ask anybody in the audience, uh, who, has had some success with some sort of easy sort of in the box online business. Doesn't have to make a bunch of money. It's just, you know, if I can, if she can make 10 bucks a, a week, she'd be happy. Um, let me know. Uh, with that, I will uh, turn it to you, MC. Now, what, uh, where can we learn more about you? Obviously, we've got the show. We got Cashflow Ninja. Uh, what, what else can, what else can you share with us? Yeah, there's a, a video course and a webinar that, that your listeners can check out if they're interested in some of these things that I talk about at yourownbankingsystem.com. It's yourownbankingsystem.com. So there's a there's a webinar and then I broke it down into a lot of easily uh, digestible sizes, a little bit shorter videos, uh, just talking about these concepts and different things uh, a little bit more in detail. And as you mentioned, uh, Producers Wealth is my company. They can check it out at producerswealth.com. Uh, and then uh, the show is uh, cashflowninja.com. Fantastic. Well, thanks again for being on the show, MC. Thank you so much. Always, as always, enjoyed, Buck. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the show. MC is a really good guy, and he and I obviously share some perspective. Now, uh, during that podcast, uh, we referenced something that he and I have both have an interest in, which uh, we call Wealth Formula Banking. Uh, if you're interested in learning more about that strategy, which is, I think, a good thing to do, whether you do it or not, learn about it because it's incredibly powerful. Visit WealthFormulaBanking.com. Um, and for many of you uh, and myself, you can look at something like this potentially as a, as a candidate for the focal point to your to your portfolio. And I think that's kind of what MC was getting at as well. Um, so check that out again. It's wealthformulabanking.com. Finally, uh, I want to announce that next week will be the debut of my new cryptocurrency podcast. And I want to thank uh, all of those uh, who, uh, based on my, uh, uh, my request, sent me a bunch of suggested names, and I, I liked a lot of them. Some of them I couldn't do. Some of them were taken, et cetera. But anyway, I, I've, come, I, I've got a good name for it, and it's going to be cool. I think you're going to like it. Um, so next week, we'll mark episode number one of, drumroll, Cryptonomics Radio. Hopefully you like that name. I think it's kind of cool, Cryptonomics Radio. It'll be at cryptonomicsradio.com, etc., uh, I don't think we're going to, I don't think it'll be out on uh, Sunday. I think we may do it sort of a midweek launch, but I will definitely let you know. Uh, but that's it for me this week on uh, Wealth Formula Podcast. This is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. 
The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Buck Joffrey here from Safety with Buck Joffrey. Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.